welcome to Spawned, a common sense and hopefully fun discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Liz Gumbiner. I'm the co-founder of CoolMomPicks.com, and I am missing my partner in crime today, Kristen Chase. She will be back next week, which I'm so happy for, but fear not, I'm not going to be delivering a 30-minute monologue, so don't be turning this off yet. In fact, you have to stick around because today I have an incredibly accomplished, amazing guest. We're going to be talking about the issues facing women and mothers in the workplace, which is something I've always been really passionate about. What's right, what's wrong, what we can do about it, and of course, we'll close out our show with our cool picks of the week. But first, let me tell you a little bit about our guest, Dina Baxt. She is impressive. Dina is a former attorney with the NOW Legal Defense and Education Fund, and she's the author, among other things, of Babygate, How to Survive Pregnancy and Parenting in the Workplace. Currently, though, she's the co-founder of A Better Balance which is a leading advocacy org dedicated to advancing the rights of working families, promoting fairness in the workplace, and helping workers across the economic spectrum care for their families. Um, This is kind of cool, actually. Her 2012 New York Times op-ed, Pregnant and Pushed Out of a Job, some of you might remember that, it was huge, it led Congress immediately to introduce the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act, and in 2013, she helped draft the NYC version, which then inspired similar laws in 11 states. Her most recent accomplishment of many was the recent passage of the New York State Paid Family Leave Act, which impacts a lot of our listeners. So welcome, Dina. Thank you so much. I'm really uh, delighted to be here and thank you for the introduction. I'm delighted to have you. And by the way, that was like an incredibly truncated bio. You have done a lot in your life. I'm blown away. I'm suddenly looking at my own resume and thinking, oh God, what have I done? I, I highly <laughs> doubt that. <laughs> so how did you get involved with issues around economic justice for women? Because this goes way back for you. It does. You know, really since college, when I started working on domestic violence issues and issues around women with Catherine McKinnon who's a famous law professor at University of Michigan. And then I moved to work in a private firm, but ended up doing pro bono legal work for the now Legal Defense and Education Fund around reproductive rights cases and economic justice issues. And then when I had an opportunity, I moved into the nonprofit world, which was always what I wanted to do, to do policy and legal advocacy. And then I became pregnant with my first daughter. So I started really digging into sort of where the law was around protections for women, both when they're pregnant and then when they become mothers and how the law could be improved. For me, as a professional woman, the challenges around navigating work and family were daunting. And certainly after having three daughters, they'd continue to be. But I really saw it through the lens of an economic justice issue about how this so deeply harmed middle-class, low-income women, Mm -hmm. far worse, and how for so many women, one sick child can mean job loss, it could mean homelessness, you know, or one complicated pregnancy can really mean economic ruin. And so I just became focused on that issue and then went off and founded a better balance. I think that's fantastic. Just the fact that you are in the nonprofit sector, like on a personal note, I want to thank you for that. I think so many of our eyes have been opened, particularly in the past year, about how invaluable legal services and nonprofits are to particularly those who can't afford them and for those advocating for justice in a, you know, a lesser paid way. I feel like this is a group of people really kind of saving the country right now, particularly in terms of those who are 
disenfranchised or struggling economically and for women all around. You know, using the law to protect and defend women's rights and civil rights really <laughs> has become more important than ever. I do agree. I think it's tremendous to see, you know, the interest among the private bar in moving support towards all women. You know, you see issues, you know, around Time's Up and, you know, addressing issues around sexual harassment um, and then more broadly around equal pay and discrimination. And I think we're in a moment of like cultural awakening of just, you know, how important it is to make sure that all workers are protected. Right. And then also how important it is to use the law. You know, I'm really glad you brought up Me Too and Time's Up. Not that we can ever have a conversation without it <laughs> lately these days, which is a good thing. And um, I keep hearing like this is the year of the woman. And I saw somebody recently. I'm so sorry. I wish I could give credit to them. It was probably like some huge comedian with 8 billion Twitter followers. But they said, you know, it's really nice that we're celebrating the year of the women so that 50 percent of the population gets one whole year dedicated to thinking about them. <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking about how how women's issues have been in the forefront, particularly over the last year, 18 months. And so how do you feel that's impacted the work that you're doing? Are you getting more attention, more funding? Has your um, caseload broadened? Like, how has this changed in the past year? Because I feel like there's been a lot of changes. Yeah, you know, it's incredible. It takes a moment of resistance, in a sense, to sort of wake the national consciousness around these issues that hold women too often back in, in the workplace and in society. And so we get a better balance. We do direct legal services. We, we also legislate, as you mentioned, for around, you know, stronger laws and policies around sick time and paid leave and pregnancy and fair pay. And then we have strategic litigation efforts too. And on the legal services side, we're getting an uptick in our callers who are seeking assistance, who feel more empowered to assert their rights. We've also developed more Know Your Rights information. We developed a Know Your Rights guide. We'll be you know, rolling it out across the country. But here in New York, where so often your rights are stronger, not always, of course, but in New York, where we have a sick time law and a new groundbreaking state paid family leave law that gives workers 12 weeks of job protection leave to care for a new yes, child. This New York mom is applauding you for that. But it's just so important <laughs> that you know your rights, right? Because you know, we, we fight so hard to pass these laws. But if workers don't know their rights, and they feel like they can't exercise their rights, then what's the fight about? And so um, it's really cool to be a part of a moment where workers are able to advocate and keep their jobs and access key benefits because knowledge is power, right? So that's another important piece of the work. And so yeah, I mean, it's an incredibly exciting moment. I I think you're also seeing just, as I said earlier, just more national attention on the issue from the media, from, you know, celebrities. And I think that all really makes a difference. I I'm so glad to hear that, you know, we're not just like yelling into the void, but it's actually leading to <laughs> actual impactful change and movement in this arena. So let me ask you, what do you think overall are the biggest issues facing mothers in the workplace today? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> or too many to count. Um, well, it's hard to certainly pick one, right? I I mean, there's economic issues, there are health issues. And certainly, as I said earlier, these issues often play out differently across the economic spectrum. For professional women, I think there are a lot of issues around, still issues around fair and equal pay. I think there are issues around, you know, maternal bias about being treated fairly and respectfully when you're a mother. You know, there's a lot of issues around returning from maternity leave and being treated differently. Um, I think there's challenges around controllable work hours for some professionals who may have access to good policies. It's more about, 
you know, can I continue to work and care for my family? And if I have a controllable work schedule, (laughs) that um, makes it a lot more likely that I can do that. But at the same time, I mean, you can't talk about women without talking about men. And so I think, you know, really seeing that this issue is not just a women's issue and that making sure that men are part of the conversation, men are a part of taking advantage of these benefits will ultimately lead to greater equality and opportunity for women and mothers in the workplace. I am sitting here pumping my arms. I'm so glad that you're talking about this because I've been yelling from the rooftops about paternity leave and the importance of family leave and not just maternity leave for so long. The last time I went back to working full time was I left about four years ago. And I could really see the difference between the young moms and the young dads. I, Young as in young children, Uh Um, because we're all old in New York City when we have children. (laughs) And so it it was really interesting. Like when I was there, I felt like in hushed tones, we would find the kindred spirits, the other women, some of whom were very senior, and shut the door and like cry or talk about the difficulty or how hard a business trip was when we were leaving. And I just felt like there were two kinds of new dads there. The ones who just were like, well, this is my job, whatever, and didn't think about it much. And those who really were committed to going home at five, being there for their kids, taking time off, supporting their wives, you know, making sure that they were equal in child rearing. So I actually felt while there was still a difference between young moms and young dads in the workplace, I really felt progress. Um, Have you felt that as well? Do you think we're like stepping up in terms of supporting men and men also feeling engaged in this debate discussion as well? I do. I definitely think we're seeing progress. We know men from studies talk about work family balance and challenges as a a key issue, both in terms of when they seek out job opportunities. Um, So I think for men, a lot of it has to do with cultural stigma and being in work environments where they're supported for being a caregiver and not penalized. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, you know, just an incredibly important um, thing. And and then also, you know, I think what's going to be really interesting is in New York, where we're really rolling out this groundbreaking law men and women have equal bonding time, time off, you know, for paid leave. And there's job protection. So this is where the law and culture go hand in hand. I think you'll see more men feeling comfortable taking advantage of leave because most employees, yeah, I think it's like 14% of workers nationwide who have access to paid leave for their employer. So that's still a very small amount. Oh, that's terrible. 14% have access to paid leave. That's it? Through their employer. And so, you know, now in New York, which is following in the steps of, you know, Rhode Island and California and New Jersey, but New York's law is the strongest in both in terms of, you know, the number of weeks and the fact that there is clear job protection. And I think that'll make a huge difference for men. So I'm really excited because I think we're really on the road (laughs) um, through the law and culture, um, seeing some change, um, real change in the next decade. You know, we talk a lot about what's wrong. So I'm actually glad to hear about positive trends. Are there other good changes or trends that you think you're starting to see over time or that this moment in time has awoken in people? I do. When I founded A Better Balance, the whole conversation around work and family was around this opt-out notion this idea of women just, you know, it's too much. And so they just leave their jobs. You know, that's narrowly focused both because it's around professional women, and it's narrowly focused because it's, the solution is very individual. Um, And I think what we're seeing is that these issues around ensuring that workers can care for their families without risking their economic security is not an individual problem. 
You know, the U.S. is the only country in the world that doesn't mandate paid leave. Yeah. These are societal problems, you know, that require systemic solutions. And I think that we are seeing the shift. I mean, even look at the conversation, you know, whether you agree with every solution, I, I think that the narrative has shifted. And I think there's also been a recognition that ensuring that low-income women, you know, who want to work can keep working, you know, that's not just good for her, it's good for families, and it's good for our economy, right? Because it keeps yeah. women on the job. So I think there's been a recognition that it's a win-win. President Obama really drove this conversation and helped, you know, shape it when he was in office. But I think that clearly, we're moving in that direction now more than ever in terms of the movement for paid sick time, paid leave, you know, the pregnancy discrimination laws that really, really support low-income moms, you know, I think for most professional women who, when they're pregnant, making sure that they could carry a glass of water or use the bathroom or put their feet up are not really the issues. But for low-income women who are in like physically demanding jobs, who are folding clothes sure. on the retail floor, who have to choose between basic needs like using the restroom or staying hydrated. You know, we had one client in New York who this woman passed out and ended up in the ER and the ER doctor said, oh, how did that happen? And she said, well, my boss wouldn't let me, you know, drink water. And that was part of the momentum behind the New York City. And what, what kind of job did she have? She was a retail worker. And she wasn't allowed to have water on the floor when she was pregnant? She allowed to carry a water bottle because it was against policy. Wow. You know, and then also the last thing is around equal pay. I mean, I think that's a tough nut to crack, but I think we're making progress. I think we're making the most progress on the state level. I think federally, we've seen some disturbing rollbacks. Mm -hmm. But I think in the state level, we are making progress. For mothers, you know, there's a new law in New York City that says, you know, you can't inquire about salary history. Yes. Um, that's an important step forward. And that's not just for mothers. I mean, that's in general, oh, yeah. you can't inquire about your past salaries so that they can't yeah. um, lowball you coming in because you may have been underpaid in a past job. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I have a dad who's a recruiter. So we talk about this stuff a lot just from a professional standpoint and, you know, how it's impacting him and how he counsels his candidates. And I think that's great. But, you know, you mentioned that there have been some rollbacks on the federal level. And, you know, I always commended Obama's first big act in office for signing Lily Ledbetter. But but what have we regressed on on the federal level? Well, you know, with respect to equal pay, I think the biggest issue was a movement to try and ensure um, through regulation under the Obama administration that we could get at some of the um, wage gap information through mm -hmm. contracting. And President Trump rescinded that executive order. So um, thankfully, for example, here in New York, and I know in other states, similar efforts are underway to try and get at that information because you can't fix a problem you don't know that exists. And so it's really trying to analyze wage debt and try and get more information around pay. That was one disturbing setback that we, you know, are now both fighting back federally, but also my organization, you know, we are really very much focused in sort of using the states and cities as laboratories for change. And now more than ever, moving forward in the states and cities has become, you know, incredibly important. Yeah. And actually, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, we're talking about New York and California, New Jersey, Rhode Island, you know, the so-called blue states that have really really been leading the way in a lot of ways in terms of, I mean, I want to call it resistance, but it's more like progress, right? Like helping support yeah. the average working person. Yeah. But what about the people in the other 46 states? I mean, what can our listeners do when they're not in a state that's 
being so proactive in terms of looking out for working moms in business overall? Well, progress is not limited to progressive states. For example, you know, this pregnancy law has passed in a number of pretty conservative states, and we've had some pretty unusual allies in making progress. And so, you know, I think being willing to both get involved and share your story and advocate for solutions is more important than ever. And groups like A Better Balance, you know, we have information, we help draft laws in states around the country, we provide toolkits and messaging um, about how to talk to legislators around a range of issues like sick time and paid leave and pregnancy. And we have a number of campaigns underway. We work with a number of partners in this effort. We also have an office in the South in Nashville, Tennessee, where we're based. I mean, just in the city of um, Nashville this past year, we were able to work with the mayor, um, pass a pretty progressive paid leave ordinance for municipal workers. And so progress is not limited. It may be a little bit easier, but it's certainly possible in states, I think, that you may not necessarily think would would move on these issues. So what are the things that you think regular people can do to get involved? On Cool Mom Picks and Cool Mom Tech, we've talked about a lot of the apps and the services and the organizations that are kind of making it easier for you to connect with your representative or your senator. What are some of the things that you think are the most important things that ordinary women and men can do to get involved and be advocates for solutions and help make positive change? I mean, obviously, voting and supporting strong candidates and women in office is, you know, a no-brainer. Beyond that, I think with respect to workplace rights, I think knowledge is power. I mean, at A Better Balance, if you go to our homepage, www.abetterbalance.org, and you go to Know Your Rights, you can check out your state. We have Know Your Rights information for every state that we keep updated. And you can start to see and compare how your state stacks up. And if it frustrates you, you know, get involved in the fight to change those laws. You know, we're happy to guide you and be a resource. But, you know, there's a lot to do. And we need everyone sort of engaged in this fight to uh, strengthen protections. And you mentioned helping to elect women. And there are an extraordinary number of women running for local and state and federal offices this year, which is amazing. Do you see a tangible correlation between women in power, women in office, women on the bench, and how laws impact women in the workplace? I think women bring a perspective to the table that is extremely valuable in any number of realms, um, whether it's in the workplace (laughs) or in policy solutions, right? I mean, you know, just as well as I do how important that is. So I think bringing women, um, electing more women in office, making sure that there are women on corporate boards, that there are women on the path to leadership positions in companies around the country is just extremely important. Not to say there are not good men too. Oh, no, we'll take all the allies we can get any gender at all is welcome. (laughs) Look at Governor Cuomo, who has been a true champion for women. Some say, oh, well, you know, part of it could be that he has three daughters, but I don't think men need to have daughters to be feminist or to care about women's rights. But I think you do see for certain men a deeper concern when they see their own daughter being either treated unfairly or harassed or assaulted or not being given the same treatment just because they're a woman. Kristen and I have kind of joked about that in the past (laughs) that, you know, people are always like, as a dad, 
have daughters. And we're like, you know, how about just as a human? Exactly. You don't have to like sympathize with assault victims just because you have totally. daughters. Hopefully, if you have sons, you are also educating them and feeling sure. empathy and teaching them to be like good citizens of the world. Right. <laughs> so let me ask you, you know, to take this down to a personal level, mm -hmm. if women, if our listeners are facing discrimination personally or having issues in the workplace, what are the best resources for them to learn about the law and their rights? For women in the workplace, our online Know Your Rights Guide is a great place to start. If you call our hotline, we can guide you to other partners or lawyers in different parts of the country. What's that number? It's 212-430-5982. We would be happy to refer you if you know you have a, a legal matter that requires representation and we can assist you here in New York or in our office in the South. You know, and then the federal agencies put out their own information. The EEOC has information on their website. But, you know, I think that we do a good job of breaking it down in a user-friendly way for women and, and mothers around sort of as their issues. I'm pregnant. I'm returning from leave. How do I navigate? I need to breastfeed. What are my rights? The, the, you know, the stages of life as opposed to, you know, a wonky... <laughs> policy document that may not be the easiest to read. Well, I I'm really glad we're talking about this because as much as sexual harassment has been in the headlines these days and should be and is long overdue, I think that issues uh, involving maternity leave and family leave and the rights of women returning from work and equal pay, I mean, those are ongoing and they impact everyone everywhere, regardless of how non-harassy your boss may be. <laughs> For sure. So these are important ongoing issues and I so value the work you're doing. And I hope our listeners do too. Yeah. I mean, I just think it's incredible. And to know how many lives you're impacting with what you're doing, it's just a real kinahara, as my mom would say. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, where can we find you to learn more about you and your work, Dina? I mean, I think you could certainly go to abetterbalance.org. And my bio is um, pretty sure it's up there. Um, my email and, you know, I've also blogged for the Huffington Post and I've written for the New York Times and other publications, US News. And as you mentioned, co-authored a book called Baby Gate. Wherever is progress happening, we can find Dina. Exactly, but I'm actively um, working on these issues and I'm happy to field further questions or support anybody and guide you with resources or information you may need. That is so generous of you. Thank you. And now we're going to switch gears and you're going to help our listeners with something else, right? You're going to join us for Cool Picks of the Week. Cool Picks of the Week. Oh, okay, sure. Awesome. So I can't wait to hear what kind of cool pick. Anything at all. Anything, Dina. So I don't get to the movies all that often, but uh -huh, I finally yeah. got to see Battle of the Sexes. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. I am just obsessed with Billie Jean King and her story and how amazingly, you know, well she handled herself in her fight for fair pay and, and fair treatment. That I think there's so many strong messages and I didn't go with my daughter and I have three of them. How so old are your daughters? <laughs> 16, 14 and 11. And so my mission is to bring them back with me and then have that uh, conversation. Well, here, I'm going to make it easy for you because it's now streaming on Amazon oh because this very weekend, Friday night, I watched it with my girls who are 10 and 12. Are so 
I'm so glad you brought this that's up. That's funny. Okay, well, now I, that's great. And they loved it. And they're always skeptical, like, eh, real life history. Bleh. Like, they want to see something. <laughs> I don't know. They only want to see Heather's the musical, basically. Right. And so I kind of nudged them, and my boyfriend nudged them, and they loved it. And at the end, they spontaneously, you know, they have the kind of epilogue afterwards where they talk about the accomplishments of Billie Jean King over the years. And they jumped up out of the couch and applauded. <gasps> and so here's my name joppy story. So on Twitter, I, I wrote that my kids spontaneously applauded her accomplishments and I thanked her and she liked my tweet. She did? Oh my God. <laughs> yes, I was like, I could die happy now. Billie Jean King like my tweet. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. That's on my agenda next week. Well, that's a great pick, Battle of the Sexes. <laughs> it is so good. It's just so good. And, you know, I'm old enough that it actually happened early, but in my lifetime. And to even imagine that that's how sexist things were and how commonly acceptable, like watching Howard Cosell. Oh my God. You know, yeah. the way he talked about women, like he was this kind of revered, beloved sportscaster. And I was like, he is horrible. Too much. Too Did much. you have a favorite scene? Um, You know, I just think that, you know, when he was trash talking her and she was just talking about let's just play. I, I just thought that was great. She didn't, you know, sink to his level. Yeah. She just won. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I love that. And you know what, other one I loved when she was telling Bill why she didn't want him to be the announcer for the game. Right. And they had that talk. And she said, you know, I think for him, it's just this joke, this male chauvinist pig thing. It's an act. It's a show. He's a clown. But I think for you, it's real. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Oh, so many good scenes. Yeah. Well, that's a great cool pick. Actually, that's a good transition to my cool pick of the week. I wanted to give a little signal boost to Tina Duria. D-U-R-Y-E-A. I hope I'm saying that right. Tina Duria. She also goes by T.L. Duria. She is an amazing artist. And I discovered her on Facebook recently. She had posted a portrait she did of Judge Aquilina the day after she had given that impassioned speech to all the survivors of the USA Gymnastics team. And um, when I looked at her Instagram, it's tduria.com is her website or t underscore duria on Instagram. It turns out she's been doing a daily portrait series throughout January where each day she's been painting an incredible portrait of mostly women who have done amazing things. And it's everyone from Sandra Day O'Connor to Shirley Chisholm. She did Cecile Richards followed by Ann Richards, which I thought was really cool. cool. Just uh, like a huge variety of incredible women, past and present, and they're beautiful. And she sells them. And I wish she'd sell them for more. They're not even that expensive. But she also does like portraits of kids and families. You know, she's like a, a really talented, fine artist. But this daily portrait of the day that she's been doing has been so inspiring to me. I love it so much. So I just wanted to give her a shout out and I hope people will check out her work at tduria, D-U-R-Y-E-A dot com or Instagram. It's T underscore Duria. And you can see a month of portraits and all the other great work she's doing. And we love supporting indie artists and up and coming people that are doing wonderful work. And she's definitely a cool pick of the week. Thank you so much for joining us, Dina. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's it. What a great episode. Thank you, our listeners, so much for joining us for another episode of Spawned. Don't worry, Kristen, we'll be back next week with a whole new episode. And huge thanks, as always, to our engineer, John Bowen, who makes us sound fabulous or, you know, as fabulous as he can with the limited equipment he has. <laughs> we love hearing from all of you. Please leave us a review on iTunes. You can reach out to us at Spawned at CoolMomPicks.com. Find us on Facebook or Twitter at CoolMomPicks. You can use the hashtag Spawned show 
And hey, make sure to subscribe to our podcast. In fact, you can do it right now. Then be sure to download our episodes. And don't forget, visit coolmompics.com and check the podcast category. And you'll find all of our show notes for every Spawned episode we do, including the one that you heard here today. Thanks so much for joining us. This is Liz. Have a great day. Bye.